1: How do you feel at this moment? And in this feeling, who would think of you and who would you think of? Welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was Letting Go from Inclusion Revolution Together with Love album, which you can acquire on iTunes, Amazon, and all over the place. I hope today finds you in a good spirit and managing your thoughts as best as you possibly can. Everything that we're seeing in the world, everything that we're enduring in our lives, everything that people are saying and doing, All the possessiveness and all of the material possessions, it all came from a thought. What are you thinking right now? That's the question. And to what extent are the thoughts in service to your greater good or your demise? (laughs) This is what the show is all about. It's about making us into better people and bringing about a culture of richness. Today, I'm really proud to welcome our next guest, Lisa Butcher. After short stints where Lisa trained polar horses, she worked also as a flight attendant, hairdresser, and bartender. She revamped her life completely and settled in as a registered nurse. And for the first 28 years, she has worked with hundreds of women to overcome alcoholism, live better lives, and become better parents. Now, Lisa's got a new book out. This is the newest and the fifth book, which is entitled Raising the Bottom, Making Mindful Choices, in a drinking culture. Today, we're pleased to welcome Lisa Boucher. It was Thank you. Boucher. It's Boucher. I was so close. Yes. Huh? You were very close. It's
0: it's a tricky one. People, uh, the only time they ever get it right is when I was in France or up in Quebec in Canada where they speak French. <laughs> Other than that, everybody gets it wrong, So don't feel bad.
1: It's okay. Thank you my last name is... My last name is also the same. They never know how to pronounce it pretty well. Lisa, thanks for joining us on air today. And thank you for helping those of us who might have ended up with a bottle and didn't really quite know how to put it down, how to really put it down. Mm. Yeah. You've dedicated your life so much, uh, especially in helping women to overcome alcoholism. I don't know if you've heard of this latest author, Chanel. She was that young girl who was violated by that student at Stanford. And because Mm. she was drinking and she drank so much, what had happened when she actually got out of that space, she realized that she had been raped. And so, again, you know, what is the role with women and alcohol? and the way they maneuver it and manage it. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, oh, my gosh, it's such a huge subject because just what you brought up, let's just start here. The alcohol industry is spending $2 billion a year in the United States alone to push their alcohol products. And much of it is pushed toward women. So they've come Mm. up now with seltzers that are low-carb and lower-fat and all of this stuff to get women to drink more. And it's working. The advertising effects, they are working. Women are the number one buyers of wine. And I'm talking more young women because they're better educated. They're making more money. Turn on HGTV and you cannot watch one show without them really pushing Let's go sit at the bar and make our decision about what house we're going to buy or or um, after they buy the house or renovate the house. Now let's go celebrate with our wine. And they're very, um, I'm sure the mm. alcohol industry is, is paying HGTV quite a bit of money because it's very <laughs> deliberate. Their use of wine, you know, the, the key words, it's just so obvious once you start looking for it. So... Like you said, I mean, some terrible things can happen when a person is inebriated, and it's because alcohol shuts down our prefrontal cortex in our brains, which is our computer. This is where our logical mind, our reasoning, and whatnot happens, and so there's all sorts of trauma that happens, and maybe it wouldn't have if... I mean, this is, tends to send people in an uproar and say, well, nobody should be a rapist. Absolutely. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we can defend ourselves a little better when we're not so drunk we can't move because there mm-hmm. are predators out there. There are people who are just bad. Drunk or not. Yeah, drunk or and not. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, right, or not. so right.
0: to be helpless because you're so drunk, I mean, bad things do happen, unfortunately. And I think there's a lot of rapes that happen as a result of that or people getting roofied with those um, date rape drugs and and whatnot where you're incapacitated. So that is a whole other subject to a degree. But then I guess the point where it all comes in is alcohol tends to be that central figure that. You know if you have a few drinks and then you start getting sloppy and not paying attention, then you mm-hmm. become have a higher chance of becoming a victim as opposed to someone who's maybe stopped at that second drink, and they're still fully aware of and they're keeping their glass in their hand if they're at a at a bar they're not familiar. you know what I'm saying, so yes, of these course, of course. Things, yeah, but I mean, even the way it it can impact in in relationships. I mean, drinkers tend to find each other sometimes. So I know, like, with my own marriage and my own relationships, my first husband was a raging alcoholic. So it it was no surprise that I married someone like that, though, because I grew up with an alcoholic mother and lots of chaos. And Mm. then when I was faced with a decision of, my roommate was getting married and I knew I couldn't afford to live alone so it was either move home or oh voila, here comes some guy that I barely know. Yeah, let's get married. Poor choices. Mm, But alcohol was a common theme in this for me too. So I can't blame him. I was just
1: of course in that party mode as well. You know, your choice to get on this path because you are dedicating your life to helping women overcome alcoholism and Was there a specific reason why you chose this path versus other paths that you could have chosen? Well, I think it's because I'm in recovery myself.
0: I've been sober 30 years. And like I I said, growing up with an alcoholic mom. So it it is very rewarding. I got a, a woman. I don't know her at all. She messaged me on Instagram just yesterday. And she thanked me for my book, Raising the Bottom. And she said she has two small children. And she has stopped drinking as a result of the stories in the book and of the ideas and the seeds that were planted, and she was able to relate and say, you know what, my drinking is is starting to get into the danger zone. And she's quit, and she said, thank you for giving my children their mom back, that she's no longer preoccupied with just alcohol. So, mm-hmm. I am in, yeah, I find it very rewarding to help families because I was that child on the backside of a boozy mom. And there are many children out there that are desperately hurting, and they, in turn, will turn to substances to assuage their feelings of fear and angst when they're in a home with the party parents. And you don't right. have to be completely off the rail to cause damage to the little ones in the family. But when when mom and dad or two moms or two dads or whatever the case may be, if your sole focus is your alcohol and your social life and your partying, the kids are lost in this shuffle. And mm-hmm. so it meant a lot to me to try to help anyone, men or women who are reaching out. The book has been very helpful to men as well, even though it's pink. And it is geared more toward Mm -hmm. women, but I've had many men tell me that they've loved it and it's helped them immensely. One gentleman just tweeted me from France where he tweeted a picture of the book and said thank you, and it's helped him tremendously.
1: So I think when we
0: are ready, yeah, when we're ready for the message, or if we're even curious that we don't have to be ready. I have had... Other people that read the book a year ago, and then they're just now messaging me saying, I thought about getting sober a while back, and I just wasn't ready, but now I am. And that's Good. just how it, how it works. That, you know, it when I decided to get sober, I knew two years before I pulled the trigger that I needed to address my drinking. And I just mm. wasn't ready. I was in my late 20s, and I thought I was too young to have a drinking problem.
1: Wow, wow. Now, how do you feel? I mean, it's 30 years later. Have, have you ever had a thought of going back to drinking, especially when you're socializing with friends and and stuff? Or are you just like been there, done that, I'm okay?
0: I'd be lying if I said I never had the thought. I'm, I'm, my husband still drinks. So mm-hmm. there are times when it looks pretty good.
1: But mm-hmm. for me,
0: I just have to play the tape for you know. It's usually around that ambiance of when we get the first snow and you build a fire in the fireplace,
1: and you think, oh, something, you know, that kind of thing. So,
0: I have. But to can't you smash. just have like
1: one glass? Like one glass of wine doesn't hurt, Mark. You, I don't drink at all. But my question is, even if I'm a recovering alcoholic, is it wrong if I just have one glass as a social drinker, or is there the fear? that one glass will lead to a bottle?
0: No, it's not the fear. It's the trigger.
1: So if you're Mm. truly
0: alcoholic, that one glass, they say it's the first drink that gets you drunk. So Mm. it would be like a trigger for me. So, And they say the disease of alcoholism, if you have it. So I've been sober 30 years. But if I start drinking today, it would be like I never quit. So my disease would start off, like I had never stopped, which would be probably just beyond a disaster. And it might take a week or two for it to escalate, but that's what would happen. It would start off with one drink, and the next day that obsession of the mind would come back where all you think about is, oh, what am I going to get? Where am I going to stop? And then you start Mm -hmm. thinking about the drink, and then it escalates. So if I could just have a drink, I would have never needed to quit. It sure. Was the sure. That was becoming all-consuming.
1: Makes sense. Congratulations on the release of your new award-winning book, Raising the Bottom. Tell us a little bit about the book, and how was it doing? Why did you choose to write it? Well, I needed
0: to write this one because, as much as there are many books on alcoholism and whatnot out there, so many of them deal with these horrible low bottom stories about someone's life had completely been destroyed and then they got sober. And I wanted to attack it from a different angle. And raising the bottom is about people with higher bottoms. Most of the people in my book, there's 10 stories in the back of the book. And like I said, my mother had a very low bottom. So I was able to, once she found recovery, finally, then I saw her change into this amazing person. So when my drinking started to escalate, my mother was seven years sober at the time, and she pointed out, hey, Lisa, it seems like you're drinking. Is... And instead of being in denial and getting angry with her, I chose to consider the maybe. And that that's what I want Raising the Bottom to do, to c- encourage people to consider the maybe. It's not saying, okay, you have a drinking problem, but Maybe you do. Here's what it looks like and what it can look like in people that are still highly functional. So I have stories Mm -hmm. of doctors and nurses that were still doing surgery and still working and moms and people that still had their jobs and their families but their drinking was starting to take over their life. And even though things looked great on the outside, inside they were falling apart. They were disintegrating internally. And that's kind mm-hmm. of how I explain my alcoholism. It, outwardly, if you would look at me, you'd say, "Oh, sure. young woman, she, you know, I'm working. She's married to a professional. Everything like, looks fine." But inside, I was falling apart. So that's mm-hmm. the face of alcoholism that I'm very interested in because it is not the homeless person. It is not the person who you see on rehab on TV right.
1: who is the right.
0: complete wreck. You don't have to get there.
1: Exactly. Now, one of the things, um, it's definitely drinking is so normalized. I remembered there was a television show called Booze Traveler or something, and this guy goes around the world trying out all these various liquors, and it became a number one hit um, television series or reality show. And what's happening is that people more and more are using wine or alcohol as a coping mechanism. Why do you think that is so?
0: Well, I think that's so because there's, number one, social media is not helping. There's a lot of comparisons now where people didn't used to have to have this visual comparison, whether it's real or perceived, because there's a lot of fake stuff on social media, but still you get a glimpse of it and and other people's lives can look better or the people that are you know, getting the plastic surgery and the beauty and the this and the that. And its people are bombarded with what life looks like in a snapshot and when their reality doesn't match up. So there's also a lot of people like myself that were raised in homes with an alcoholic parent, a rageaholic father. I didn't learn coping skills. I didn't learn healthy ways of managing my feelings and mm-hmm. so many many people are are raised in dysfunctional environments then the alcohol a lot of alcoholism starts in college where people never outgrow that kind of drinking and therefore they never really continue to mature so when we are bombarded then with life's problems and we don't know how to cope with them i know when i didn't like the way i felt my solution was to go have a drink, and then it changed the way I feel, felt. And that's mm-hmm. why many people drink, to change the way we feel. So we have to start teaching our children coping skills at a very early age and, and give them other ways to manage their stress. I mean, all you hear anymore is how everybody is so anxious and, and they're depressed, and it's just really sad that there are so many people that can't seem to manage without alcohol or pills or running to the doctor for antidepressants and all of these things that ultimately are not solutions. They can end mm-hmm. up being a bigger part of the problem and making everything worse instead
1: of... Sure. And something that you said earlier, too, it's the way the media or HD really promotes the the fashion, the style you know, the cosmetology of of the of drinking. I remember this television show I used to like. It was called Scandal, and there was a girl in there, a character called Livy Pope. And one of the things that Livy Pope would do when she was dressed is have a glass of red wine and popcorn. And the way they mm. used to put that, I used to sit and look at that when I had the chance. i go, hmm, they make it look like that really looks good, but I love popcorn, and I could not imagine having popcorn with a glass of wine, I didn't think it would be the most yeah. gross thing. But they provide right. and make they it don't look manage, so good that people think that, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do.
0: Well, they do. And it, it's just, it's front and center where they're combining it with activities, with paint and sip, yoga and sip. There was a, a place here in locally that it's a family barbecue restaurant. And they were promoting these juice, pa- I mean, these, alcohol pouches that look like capri suns Mm -hmm. and they're doubles so i did challenge them and say you know how let's have a conversation the only reason anybody drinks a double is to get drunk so why are you promoting this in a family restaurant and someone on instagram did reach out i don't know if they were one of the owners or not and they said well why aren't you railing against the bars in the area? And I said, well, you're missing the point <laughs> because if someone's going to a, a bar, that's they're in the business of alcohol. So I don't have a problem with that. That's not my point. My point is family restaurants promoting let's get mom and dad drunk and then drive the kids home, I guess, after they've each had four double or you know what I'm saying because mm-hmm. you're going to have mm-hmm. two. And then that's for drinks. That's a lot of alcohol to be driving small children home or any, even yourselves home. It's, it's drinking and driving that essentially they're promoting. So I things like this I don't understand, and it's just becoming such so common for everything. And people – I was invited to do a speaking engagement and by one woman, but she had to clear it with her two other women that were on this board or committee or whatever – and the other two decided that I was not compatible, was the verbiage she used, with their message. And sadly, this was a parenting group. So how uh, anti or let's rethink the drink message is not compatible for parents is, is beyond my understanding. And really what it boils down to is, sadly, people that have problems with alcohol are very uncomfortable, talking about
1: alcohol sure.
0: and yes. looking in the mirror and looking at themselves which sadly I said that was the one ingredient that changed my life the whole trajectory of my life was being honest with myself back in my late yes. 20s saying you know I think my drinking's escalating and I'm going to just do something about it now instead of later
1: yes so yes. this Makes sense. Where we are and good for you for doing that as well. Um, we often hear about the impact of peer pressure on children, but how would you describe the adult peer pressure that you've seen over the years?
0: I think it's shameful, and on two two fronts. Okay, if someone is diabetic and you offer them a cupcake and they say no thanks, you move on. Nine, ten times out of ten. Mm-hmm. However, you ask someone a cocktail and they say no often there will be questions or they will be shamed for refusing or not drinking. So mm-hmm. how sad is that, that, re- that adults can't respect another adult's choice to do something good for themselves, number one? Mm-hmm. Number two, alcohol is proven to be a class one carcinogen. So we know for a fact, the science is there, that alcohol causes cancer, why are we pushing it so rapidly and encouraging people to drink when there's so much cancer, breast cancer, throat cancer in men, colon cancer, liver cancer? The cancers are off the chart, and alcohol is a huge factor in causing cancer. But nobody wants to talk about It's obscene. You go to American Cancer Society fundraising event, and they, the alcohol flows liberally. Wow. They're raising money to, for cancer, but yet, here, let's here drink this cancer-causing alcohol. Mm-hmm. But the thing wow. is, nobody would go if they couldn't go there and drink. But this is how absurd it is.
1: Wow, that that's incredible. It, it,
0: alcohol really is like the new tobacco. Mm-hmm.
1: So at
0: least the, the, the tobacco, the cigarette packs, had warning labels on it. So I think bottles, mm-hmm. at the very least, should have warning labels so then people can at least know what i'm ingesting causes cancer. Sure. sure. I, I think now, it, we've
1: been hearing it should happen. we've been hearing we've been hearing a lot about the devastating effects of opiates. And is there I mean, is there a link between that? I mean, why is there so much attention on opiates when more people are actually dying from alcohol abuse?
0: That is an excellent question. Why? I really don't know other than the only thing i can think of is that People are not outwardly dying. People die all the time from alcohol-related, but it looks very much, very different than, I'm also a registered nurse, so here's here's my example. When the opioid epidemic, I live in Montgomery County in Ohio, which was one, I think it was like the epicenter, the opioid epidemic, so the morgues around in this area We're filling up. So, of course, this makes the news of of these dead bodies all over the place. What do we do? And then things like that, or when the fentanyl started coming out and people were overdosing like crazy. So now it's all over the news that there's dead bodies. So this is shocking, the conscience of the whole nation. However, with alcohol, it looks like drunk driving and motor vehicle accidents. It looks like liver failure. Mm. So the person comes into the hospital and dies from liver failure, but no one's alarmed. It looks like the person who fell at home while they were drunk and has a subdural hematoma goes into a coma and never wakes up. Well, they died of a subdural hematoma. Nobody really bothers to look that, oh, it was the fifth of uh, June they drank last night and fell. See what I mean? Yes. So it's yes, not I it. shocking anybody because it's not in their face. It's happening every day. 88,000 people last year died from alcohol and 72,000 from the opioid epidemic. But it's all about the opioids because of the, the body count. The body count was just too visible all at once that everybody got in an uproar over it.
1: Right, right. And again, maybe the industry as well with alcohol being such a money-making entity that right. it's not an easy giant or elephant to address in the room when it's taking care of the lives of so many, you know. Exactly. Um, in, your, in your book, you talk about the disconnects between what you say people want and what they do. What are these disconnects?
0: Okay, so people will say, I want, I want to live a healthy lifestyle yet they continue to drink heavily. They say, I'm going to eat clean and drink clean, yet they refuse to give up alcohol. I want to be a good role model for my children. But all their kids have seen from the time they've been toddlers is their parents drinking liberally for every occasion, at every child's birthday party. It's now about mom and dad and their friends and their party the the beer and the wine and the booze is all over the place where are the balloons and the cupcakes so every activity has become entrenched in alcohol people say they want to feel peaceful within just like with your meditation and your beautiful soothing voice and all this we can meditate to the cows come home but if we're going to after we meditate, go hit the Bloody Marys and start drinking, we are never going to feel okay. People say they're depressed, so they run to the doctor and they get on antidepressants. And rarely will the physician say, hey, why don't you stop drinking first? Because if you're drinking a depressant and you're complaining of depression, it only makes sense to eliminate the depressant. And then if you're not helped and you're still depressed after you've eliminated alcohol completely from your life, then that would maybe make sense to go to the doctor and and see about an antidepressant. So people say they want to live a certain way, but the caveat is as long as I don't have to give up the alcohol. Because alcohol is responsible for so many divorces, so many bad relationships, domestic violence overweight, depression, anxiety, uh, feelings of low self-esteem and self-worth, all of it. Yet people don't want it. They'll they'll pursue any number of health and wellness avenues as long as they don't have to
1: give up the alcohol, which is usually
0: (laughs) the one thing that will make the major change in their life.
1: Sure, sure. So what do you think would be the main message that you would like to leave our listeners today, and what advice would you offer anyone, anyone at all, who may be privately especially struggling with this addiction?
0: Well, I would say if they are privately struggling, please reach out for help. There's been an explosion of information regarding sobriety and recovery on social media. You can please contact me via my website send me an email, find me on social media. I have a, a, I'm have on Facebook and Instagram like many others have. So I would say reach out, find someone in recovery, talk to them. If you are questioning your drinking at all, I would encourage you to consider the maybe, rethink the drink, get my book, read the stories of many other women, like I said, and there's a few men in there besides myself. And really just be honest with yourself. If you think you drink too much, you probably do. And you Mm -hmm. can address it now or go ahead and drink another 20 years and have a lot more drama in your life. But why? Why? It's just so much easier. And I've never regretted getting sober. But I'll tell you, I know many, many people who love being sober, but many who regret that they waited too long. And they did Mm -hmm. have a lot of, you know, health issues and family ramifications before they finally quit. So you don't have to, that doesn't have to be your story. You can raise your bottom, quit now, enjoy the book, and let me know if it's helped you.
1: Great advice. Now, where can our listeners get information about you? And are you doing any book tours?
0: No, not right now. I'm not. I did, I did some earlier, but my book is available really anywhere online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, where books are sold. Um, it's in select bookstores if you like to buy from indie bookstores. And it's not on the shelf. Please ask them to order if they can do that through Ingram. So it is widely available, and my website's raisingthebottom.com. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, beautiful. Thank you so very much. It was a delight talking with you and wishing you all the very best. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So that was Lisa Boucher from Raising the Bottom, um, and you can get more information on her at RaisingTheBottom.com. And that's good. I'm glad that she's doing work in really helping individuals to really overcome a particular area in their life that might not be very, very easy, very, very easy, but I'm sure she's going to help you out. So remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission, and we really are here to love each other the same. So can you imagine to love everybody the same? Here's from Bliss. Take care.
0: Plus.